This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth uh, this morning. We are beginning uh, a new series that we're going to be doing uh, for the four Sundays of Advent. Um, so excited uh, about this. And so I'm calling it Under the Bethlehem Star. Most of the action in the book of Ruth takes place in Bethlehem, and it foreshadows the birth of King David, and ultimately the birth of the greater David, Jesus, the Messiah. And so the book of Ruth points to all of that. There are four chapters in the book of Ruth, and so we're going to be looking at one each week for the next four weeks, and they're going to correspond to the four Sundays of Advent. Uh, hope and peace and joy and love. And so today, our focus on this first Sunday of Advent is hope. And so we're going to see that in Ruth chapter 1. So if you would take your copy of God's Word or your, your tablet or whatever it is that you use, um, we are going to walk through the first chapter of Ruth uh, this morning. Um, a new feature that we have uh, today is that on the back of your the back of your bulletin, I've put the outline to the message. If you want to use this and kind of fill in the blanks as we go along, um, feel free to kind of do that, and it'll be obvious where you should fill them in. The answers will come up on the screen, um, and so if you just kind of want to follow along and take notes um, and fill in some blanks as you go along, uh, this will be here for you. Also want to let you know that as you leave today, we have some outreach cards for this series, and you can take these, uh, take, take them, give them to your friends, take several of them, take a bunch, um, we've got a bunch of them, give them to your friends, you can put them at strategic uh, places um, in our community where you think uh, they could be picked up. Um, and so we, this is a gospel-rich series, and we just want to be reaching out uh, to our families and to, um, to our neighbors and to our friends. And so um, let's look together um, at Ruth chapter 1, and you can just follow along in your copy of God's Word. The Bible says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. 
So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Let's pray together. Father, we um, pray that you would bless to our understanding this precious book from your word, uh, a book which points so clearly to the the coming of Christ, a book whose action takes place in Bethlehem, the city of David, the city where Jesus was eventually going to be born. And so we pray that as we study this book during the four Sundays of Advent in in preparation for the celebration of your birth, uh, Father, we, we pray that your Holy Spirit would cause the hope of Christ to rise in our hearts. And we pray it in his name, amen. Tim Keller has said that what we believe about the future is the main determinant in how we process, how we experience, and how we handle circumstances in the present. And 
the way that we uh, believe about the future is determined by our hope. And so here in the first chapter of Ruth, we're going to look at a couple of false sources of hope. We're going to look at a couple of, of hopes that will let us down. And then we're going to look at the only kind of hope that will never let us down. So what do we see here about hope in Ruth 1? First of all, hope in earthly things, but not God. Hope in earthly things, but not God. So the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 1 sets the scene for the book of Ruth. It says that it takes place in the days when the judges rule. This was the time of the judges. And this was an incredibly bleak time in the history of Israel. Because there was this recurring cycle during the time of the judges. When you read the book of Judges, you will see the cycle recurring again and again. It involved four steps. Uh, step number one was that the people would lapse into blatant sin. Step two was that God would be forced to discipline them. Step three uh, was that they would turn to the Lord and cry out to him in repentance. And step four was that God would raise up a deliverer, sometimes called a, a judge. But if you've read the book of Judges, you know that, that by the end of Judges, that even the judges themselves, men like Samson, are, they're very flawed deliverers to say the least. In fact, uh, they're, they're, the, the lives even of the judges are characterized by uh, big time sin. And that third step, the step of repentance, well, by the end of Judges, that's pretty much being skipped altogether. And so this time in which the book of Ruth takes place is an incredibly dark time in the history of Israel. And what makes it darker is the presence of a famine. We see here in verse 1 that at this point that a famine breaks out and Elimelech and Naomi, this couple, face a choice. And the choice is they can either choose to trust God to provide for them and remain in Bethlehem, remain in the promised land, or instead of walking by faith, they can walk by sight and they can say, ah, we're going to provide for ourselves. We're not going to trust God and we're going to set out to go elsewhere. Well, in this case, elsewhere was Moab, of an incredibly wicked, pagan place. Now, obviously, you know, God calls people sometimes to go and live in such places. He calls missionaries, for instance, to go and live in such places. But, but Elimelech is not moving his family to Moab for the purpose of missions. No, it's really about money. It's really about economics. 
It's really about believing that there are greener pastures somewhere else. This is not simply a case like, you know, we could say, well, you know what, I can serve God just as faithfully in one city as another. This is different because God's people had been called to live in the promised land. And so to go out on their own was was sin, and it was an indication that Elimelech and Naomi were placing their trust not in God to provide. They were placing their trust in the things of of this world. It's, it's, It's ironic, but the name Elimelech means my God is king. But Elimelech's not functioning like God is his king. <laughs> He's functioning like Elimelech is his king. You know, we're, as Americans, we're not too big on, uh, on, on kings, on monarchies. But I want you to know the kingdom of God <laughs> is a monarchy. And you and I do have a king. <laughs> and that king is, is either God or we are functioning as our own king. And Elimelech here clearly is, is functioning in that way. And the, the whole scheme is going to end in disaster. Because what happens in verses 3 through 5? It says, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years, and both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. In the space of three verses, Naomi's whole world comes apart. Because Elimelech dies, and then her two sons die. And so here is this widow, along with her two daughters-in-law, who are now also widows in, in wicked, pagan Moab which was a very, very vulnerable, dangerous position to be in for any single woman. You know, when we put our hope in earthly things, that's usually not something that ends well. But I see people doing it all the time. You know, I, I see people placing their, placing their trust in, in money, and power, and position, and prestige. I see, I see guys making this mistake, and, you know, and, and they can say, oh, I'm doing this all for my family. But dad, you know what your family most needs? They need you. They need you, they need your presence. Sometimes I see parents making this mistake. I, I, see, um, I see sometimes in the lives of kids these days, they're so overscheduled. And so overcommitted, right? And their lives are spread so thin that they don't even have time to engage in the things of the Lord. And it kind of pulls them away from that, pulls them away from church. And there's, their souls are not really being built because sometimes as parents, we can be so concerned with their resumes being built. But mom and dad, I want you to know the most important resume that your child can build as a spiritual resume. We care about their soul first. If that's not right, nothing else is going to matter. 
You know, I see people that God is calling to do things for him. Maybe God is calling people to, uh, to ministry or to uh, missions. We're talking about sending missionaries, but maybe God is calling you to go. But yet, I see people who, who, who listen to somebody else tell them, or maybe they tell themselves, just play it safe. Don't do anything radical. Just play it safe. I want to ask you something. How safe is it really outside the will of God? Not very safe for this family. And so we see the first false hope here. And that is hope in earthly things, but not God. Second, hope in God's gifts, but not God. If you want to follow along in your notes, this would be the second point. Hope in God's gifts, but not God. Let's check out verse 6. It says, then she arose, talking about Naomi, with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So evidently what has happened is that the famine has ended. Perhaps God's people have called out to him in repentance and so God has come and God has, has visited his people and, and there's a, maybe a revival that has taken place there in Bethlehem. And, but, and God has provided them once again with food. And so Naomi is returning to Bethlehem, but she's not returning to Bethlehem to experience the revival or the presence of God. No, she's returning simply because she has heard that there is food once again in Bethlehem. She's seeking God's gifts, but not God. And, you know, it's, it's kind of obvious from the way that this plays out that although Naomi is returning to Bethlehem physically, spiritually, she is still a mess. You know, it's possible to be in a place of spiritual things. It's possible even to be like sitting in church on a Sunday morning, and you're in a place that's associated with the things of God, but inside you're far from God. That could be the case with you, but you know what? You're in the right place to hear the message of hope. So Naomi's returning physically to Bethlehem. Spiritually, she's still not there. And you can see this, in, first of all, in her approach to her two daughters-in-law. After kind of Orpah takes off and she's gone back to Moab, but what, is, what does Naomi say to Ruth in verse 15? And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. What? This is Naomi, an Israelite, supposedly a worshiper of the one true God, and she's encouraging her daughter-in-law, Ruth, to go back to paganism. Go back to Moab. Go back to all of your gods. 
It's not a lot of concern there for Ruth's spiritual condition. You know what? We live among Moabites. We work among Moabites. We go to school with Moabites. People who are far from God. Are we gonna take the approach of Naomi and say, hey, whatever you wanna believe, that's what you're into and that's okay. Is that, is that the approach that we're gonna take with our lost family members and friends and neighbors? Or are we gonna love them enough to tell them the truth and the good news about Jesus? So we can see Naomi wasn't there spiritually by her approach to, to Ruth and Orpah. We, we can also see that by her approach to God because what does she say in verses 20 and 21? She says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? And Naomi is blaming God for all of her misfortunes and she is overlooking his blessings. She says that she's coming back to Bethlehem empty, but she really isn't empty at all. No. Among other things, she's returning with an amazing daughter-in-law who loves her in an incredible way. And what we see in Ruth is true hope. And that is hope in God. Hope in God. This would be point three. There we go. Verses 16 and 17, some of the most famous verses in the book of Ruth. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. So these verses are often read at weddings and appropriately so because they are a classic expression of commitment. In fact, in in verse 14, when it says that after Orpah left, that Ruth clung to Naomi, the Hebrew word there is davak. It's the same word that's used in Genesis when it says a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So these verses are just a classic expression of commitment and it's almost like a crescendo of commitment because every phrase here just ratchets up the level of commitment even higher. This is total self-sacrificing love that Ruth is showing for her mother-in-law. But it's not only just self-sacrificing love for Naomi, it is total surrender to God. Because what does Ruth say here at the end of verse 16? She says to Naomi, your 
God will be my God. Verse 17, may the Lord do so to me and more. Listen, she has come to believe this Moabitess, this girl who has been raised in the paganism of wicked Moab, she has come to trust in the one true God of Israel. Ruth has made a radical break with her past, a radical break with the paganism that she had been raised with. And she is saying, I am surrendered to God, totally. She's turning her back on all the false gods and turning to the one true God and placing all of her hope, her everything in him. And I want us to look at three takeaways that we've seen here in Ruth 1. Three takeaways from Ruth 1. Here's the first. We are all natural born outsiders. We are all natural born outsiders. Like Ruth, we were not naturally a part of the people of God, no. The opening verses of Ephesians 2 tell us who we were by nature. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them and our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath. We needed a new beginning. And praise God, he has provided it. Verses four and five of Ephesians two, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. And so all of our hope must be cast upon the Lord and upon his mercy, upon his grace. And that means that each of us must come to a place of decision where we make a radical break with our past and cast all of our hopes upon the one true God. Now imagine this scene on the way back to Bethlehem. So Naomi... Ruth and Orpah set out on the road to go back from to Bethlehem. They're, they're leaving Moab and they're headed to Bethlehem. But then what happens? Naomi stops and she says to Ruth and Orpah, she says, hey, what are you girls doing? Going back to Bethlehem with me. There's nothing for you there. Well, you think you're gonna find a husband and Bethlehem, two Gentile girls like you, that's just not gonna happen. There's nothing for you there. No, just go. Go back to your homes. Go back to your gods. And Orpah takes her up on it. In a way, it's the safe choice, right? I mean, if you're walking not by faith, but by sight, 
Orpah's choice to go back to Moab seems entirely sensible. But Orpah, Orpah heads back to Moab and she heads out of the pages of the Bible. You never hear her name mentioned again. What do you think happened to Orpah? We don't know. I mean, you know, she, she, could have, she could have maybe met Mr. Wright in Moab. She maybe had a bunch of kids in Moab. Maybe she lived out the Moabite dream. All she lost was her soul, her eternity. And see, you can choose to, to, to place your meaning, to try to find your meaning in life and the things that this society and the things that this culture says that you should find meaning in. And you can seek to find your value in life by living the American dream. But God invites you to dream his dreams after him and to live out his dreams for your life. Here's a second takeaway here from chapter one, and it's this. Jesus left his father's house to come and live with us. Jesus left his father's house to come and live with us. Ruth came to to live with a, a hard and bitter Naomi out of self-sacrificing love for her. Jesus came to live among hard and bitter sinners like us out of self-sacrificing love for us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. And he came to us not because we wanted him, but because he wanted to rescue us. He left the glory of his father's house to say to sinners like us, where you lodge, I will lodge. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And Jesus said to sinners like us, I'll come from heaven to earth to find you, to redeem you. And I'll go all the way to a bloody cross for you and all the way into a tomb for you. And I will rise so that not even death can separate you from my love. Uh, Jesus left his father's house to come and live with us. Here's a third takeaway. Jesus is the savior and king for people of all nations and backgrounds. Jesus is the savior and king for people of all nations and backgrounds. Look at verse 22. It says, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, and they returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. You know what, we don't know who the human author of the book of Ruth was. We do know they were, whoever it was, was a master storyteller. 
because these four chapters are just a piece of literary artistry. I want to encourage you, be reading this book. It only takes a few minutes to read, four short chapters. Read it over and, and over, and, and, and one of the things you'll see here is how, how the storyteller is like setting up what is going to come next. That's what he's doing here in verse 22. So they, Ruth and Naomi arrive back in Bethlehem at the beginning of the, the barley harvest. What's going to happen during that harvest? There in the fields of Bethlehem, Ruth, the outsider, Ruth, the Moabitess, Ruth, the Gentile, is going to meet a man of God named Boaz. Romance is going to blossom. A love story is going to take place, but there's a greater love story that's hovering behind the scenes of all of this. Because the union of Ruth and Boaz is going to set the stage for the birth of their son, Obed. And then he will have a son named Jesse. And Jesse will have a son named David, King David, and from the line of David will come Yeshua, Jesus, the one who is referred to sometimes as the son of David, who was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. So all of this is being set up. What was, it, what was the setting like? You remember what it was like in the time of the judges? Look at the last verse of the book of Judges, Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. No king. They needed a godly king. And through the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, the eventual birth of King David, is being set up, but even King David was not the ultimate king that they needed or that we need. And the birth of David sets up the birth of a greater David. Jesus, the Messiah. I want us to look at the genealogy of uh, Jesus in the first chapter of uh, Matthew. Matthew begins his gospel by talking about all the, the human ancestors of Jesus. What does he say about it? In verses five and six, he says, "In Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, remember Rahab? She, she was a Canaanite prostitute who hid the Hebrew spies. And she, like Ruth, came to place her trust in the one true God, Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king from whose line eventually will come the Davidic Messiah, Jesus. 
what does it say about the character of God that in the very genealogy of Jesus, you have someone like Rahab who had been a a Canaanite prostitute. What does it say that in the genealogy of Jesus there's Ruth, a Moabitess? It tells us that Jesus is the rightful king of all peoples. It tells us that the sinners and the outsiders and the outcasts are invited to the feast of the banqueting table of God's love. It tells us that God's heart is to redeem people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Old Testament scholar Ian DeGood says this, how glorious it is to have opportunities to share the gospel across cultures. For on the last day, the assembly before God will be made up of people from all nations, Moabites and Americans, Japanese and Jews, former Muslims and former atheists, all of them washed by the blood of the lamb and made one in Christ Jesus. What a glorious field we are called to harvest and what an awesome gospel we have been given to share. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for, for in your grace, uh, calling us to yourself. And we thank you for the, the opportunity and the calling that you have put on our lives to help others come to know you. Uh, whether it's family and and friends and people that we go to school with, people that we work with uh, here in our community or people around the world as we pray for missionaries, as we give to support missionaries, as we sometimes have the opportunity to go ourselves. Father, we thank you for this drama of redemption that we see throughout your word and that we see so clearly in the book of Ruth. And we pray that you would would use this book over these next few weeks just to get our hearts just more ready than ever to celebrate the birth of your son. And we pray it in his name, amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, 
God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine, Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.